0: Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelsner.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelsner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who wanna know what the heck works with social media. Today's show is brought to you by Social Media Marketing World 2018, the mega conference for social media marketers and creators. I am really stoked about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Dennis Yu and we'll explore how the Facebook algorithm works. Yes, the dreaded Facebook algorithm and what marketers need to know. You're definitely going to want to pay attention, folks, to this episode. By the way, want to reach me? email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And don't forget, I got another podcast. Did you know that? It's called the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. It comes out every Monday. And on that show, I talk about literally the news that broke in the last week. So if you got room on your listening dial to another podcast, get this one in there because a lot of people really love that show as well. The Social Media Marketing Talk Show. All right, with that, let's transition over to this week's brand new discovery.
0: Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival
1: tip. This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric?
0: I found a great update to an app we all love and we use a lot here at Social Media Examiner. It's Trello for desktop, for Mac, and for Windows.
1: Okay, so hold on a second. <laughs> Most people that are like me are actually using the browser. So, are you telling me there's yes. an actual app?
0: There is a dedicated official Trello desktop app for Mac and Windows out as of now.
1: Huh. Well, does that mean I don't have to wait forever for those stupid cards to load when we have like a because <laughs> we have <laughs> we have a bazillion cards in some of the things and it takes forever to load. Does that solve some of that?
0: Yes. So I've been playing around with this and. There's a there's a couple of different. Main well, actually, wait,
1: let's back up. Let's tell everybody yeah. what Trello is because some people aren't like us. So why don't you tell? Yep. Them? Yeah, go ahead.
0: So Trello is essentially a pinboard style to do tracking system for. Especially works great for teams. We use it internally at Social Media Examiner, and essentially you've got a bunch of different cards. You can go inside those cards. You can pin different pieces. It's 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 a great. Uh, I'm not doing it justice. What's some of the features that you like, well, I, especially? The, the
1: reason I love it for first for a couple of reasons: it's highly visual. Um, yes, you can create these things called cards, and inside of these cards, you can you can communicate with people. You can drag images in there. You can link to Dropbox. Uh, you can have checklists you can, you know, we do it for a live show, for example, right? Yes. So we copy these cards every week and then we document in in Trello all the different uh, things that we want to cover on the show. We make notes and then our producer, Grace, um, decides, you know, how everything's going to roll and we're all working in this Trello card dynamically at the same time. And it's just a, it's just way better than working off like a Google Doc. It's just a really visual, great project management tool.
0: Totally. So take that system and then give it this fresh skin where you don't, one, first off, have to go into a browser and possibly get distracted by other tabs right there. That alone is worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let alone the fact that then you can bring this up full screen and you've got more real estate to move your cards around in. Cool. That's a breathing room thing that just, it, I was just like, oh, this is so much better when Very I was cool. playing with it.
1: So um, I guess the logical first question is, is it free? It's totally free. And do we have to have that app open all the time for it to work? Does it somehow, is it kind of like, you know how on your phone, you don't have to have Trello open and it can still notify you? Do you have to have the app open all the time? No, you don't. Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah.
0: yeah. So it's it's a complete standalone, official desktop, Mac and Windows app. And I think Trello users who are already you know, invested in that workspace are going to love this. And those that aren't trying Trello yet should go check it out and try it out with this.
1: And it's free, right?
0: It's totally free.
1: Where do we find the, these apps?
0: If you go to Trello.com, that's T-R-E-L-L-O.com. It's right there on their front page.
1: Yeah. And you're probably gonna have to log out if you're uh, logged in because otherwise you're just going to see your cards, I think, when you go to Trello. So true. Awesome. Eric, thanks for that brand new discovery. You're welcome. Obviously, the theme of today's podcast is Facebook, and I just wanted to let you know we've got an incredible lineup of Facebook experts that are going to teach you what you need to know today about Facebook Messenger bots, Facebook advertising. If I just zoom in on the Facebook advertising side of things, listen to this lineup. Nicholas Kazmuch, John Loomer, Andrea Vall, Amanda Bond, Dennis Ewan Logan-Young, Rick Mulready, Zach Spuckler. Aerial Rats. These folks are all teaching sessions on Facebook advertising. Why? Because we know this is a big deal. We know that the algorithm is stopping our organic reach and we as marketers need to understand how to best use advertising. That's why we have such a monster focus at Social Media Marketing World on this topic. This is just one of many topics. Check it out by visiting socialmediaworld18.com again, socialmediaworld18 com. And now for this week's interview with Dennis Yu.
0: Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide.
1: This week, I'm very excited to be joined by Dennis Yu. If you don't know who he is, he's a Facebook ads expert and the CTO of Blitz Metrics, a business that's part school and part agency for social marketers. For the past 20 years, He's been working in marketing and analytics, and he used to work at Yahoo running analytics. Dennis, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Good to hang out. So today, Dennis and I are going to go deep into the Facebook algorithm. We're going to talk about how it works, what you as a marketer need to know. But before we go there, Dennis, I would love to hear how in the world did you get into Facebook marketing? Because I'm sure it must be a pretty exciting story. Let's go back in the archives here. What, what was your you know, first experience
2: with Facebook and marketing in particular? Oh, man, it was back in May of 2007. And Facebook launched their platform where you could build apps. I built one of the first apps, went to several million users. And I thought, wow, there's a treasure trove of data here. And it was a perfect storm because previously, I did analytics at Yahoo, And I helped build A.com for American Airlines. So I've always been a math and a data guy. And this was just the the ultimate math paradise for me. So... Um, but that was 2007.
1: Was that just as they were going public? Uh, or was that when they were still for universities? Or uh, help us understand. Yeah,
2: I was. I had one of the original accounts because I was at SMU. So originally it was Harvard, the Ivy Leagues. Then it opened up to schools and then anyone could come in and they had Facebook flyers. They didn't really have any analytics. They didn't have a news feed. They didn't have an ad system. But it was so easy to get traffic because it was a bunch of kids that were gossiping. It's like a cafeteria. So take us a little bit further
1: along the journey. So you start you know, pretty much at the early days of Facebook, and, and,
2: and it takes off. And then continue to tell us more about your journey. It was easy to trick the algorithm back then, because anyone wanted to know what their friends were doing. So all you had to do was post statuses or get enough people to talk about something, and then it would take off in what is the typical viral fashion the algorithms gotten smarter because there's been more data, right? There's more users producing more things. There's video, there's images, there's apps. And we've learned along the way that it's just like with Google, right? We've been doing search for almost 20 years. As the system gets smarter, they shut down the vultures that are trying to take advantage. Right? So when we launched some of the first apps on F8, which was the platform, we could get millions of users using it per day because they're throwing virtual things at each other, playing games. Do you remember FarmVille and those other kinds yeah, of games? Yeah, 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 And so Mark Zuckerberg and I, for example, got in a couple arguments because he said, hey, you can't do these kinds of spammy things because it would be things like in order to advance or to get more points, you had to invite 10 friends, ah. right? And so that was literally viral marketing or MLM kind of techniques, right? And we get rewarded for that, and people, it was built into the game. And that's no different than what you see with people that are using clickbait, seven reasons why this happened, and you won't believe what happens next, right? So Facebook's gotten smarter and smarter. Instead of just looking at that pure engagement, they're looking at how long people are watching videos, they're looking at clickback rates, they're looking everything to tell whether it's a legitimate signal. And it's the same path that we saw for the search engines. I feel like history is repeating itself because spammers are trying to find ways to trick the system and then those loopholes keep getting shut down and then the honest marketers are sucked in by, oh here's like a new secret algorithm thing, just like they've been doing all along with SEO stuff, just like get rich quick, lose weight fast. They're sucked in thinking that there's some kind of magic technique when really the algorithm Is getting smarter and smarter and figuring out where people are trying to trick the
1: system. So before we dive into the algorithm, you started working with Facebook, developing stuff back in 2007. We're recording this in late
2: 2017. Tell everybody what you're doing now. We're building... Digital marketing training systems for young adults to be digital marketers as apprentices where they go through our training, get certified, and then they get paid to work on packages. So our system is completely self-funding. Every penny goes back into the system where it's it goes back to training young adults. And we believe that's the only way to scale for small biz or big businesses. And that has always been my passion, which is mentorship and creating systems to be able to scale that mentorship. So ultimately, it's training, but the training is courses but the courses are based on our actual execution so the more execution we have the more people that are trying these methods the better the training and the more that we know we've developed standards working closely with facebook and google and other folks
1: and you have a lot of big brands as your clients that a lot of the
2: students that are coming out of this are working with is that correct and we're, we're fortunate to have whether it might be the golden state warriors or a rosetta stone or you know food companies and car companies and that gives us a lot of data and the way we look at it is the more data you have it's not that you're spending more money like people like to say how much money they're spending we spent almost a billion dollars on Facebook ads it's how much data you're able to gather and that helps you build better patterns that helps you create benchmarks that helps you see you know hey you know it looks like when you post photos to galleries you tend to get a lot more reach than you posting single photos and here's why so the reason i wanted to, to ask you that question is I want everybody to understand the evolution of where
1: Dennis has come from and where he is now and why he's so appropriate to be talking about the algorithm. So with having said all that, let's start with a general question about what is the purpose of the algorithm? Why does it exist? The Facebook algorithm.
2: So the algorithm, if it's doing its job, you'll never know that it's doing it. Technology done properly is invisible to the user. Now, the more content there is, the more friends you have, the more things that they're posting, the the more the, the stronger the filter power has to be to be able to deliver what's relevant to you, right? Mm-hmm. So if you join Facebook and, and you say, you know what, this sucks, I only have 10 friends, and you know, there's not anything interesting, the, the algorithm doesn't have to work very hard because you're not following a lot of pages. You're not clicking on lots of other items. You haven't specified a number of interests. But now the average user has 500-plus friends. They've liked 150, 200-plus pages. There's more and more stuff. And so the amount of content being produced is growing exponentially, but the amount of attention you have is still finite. So the more that ratio increases, the stronger the filter power has to be for the algorithm to determine – What does Michael Stelzer want to see right now? And if you log in three times per day versus one time per day versus like me 20 times per day, that's a different situation. And then based on where you are and what you happen to be doing and who you're with, the algorithm has to be smarter and smarter because your expectations have increased too.
1: So... The algorithm's job, really, if I could summarize what you're
2: saying, is to make me want to come back to Facebook. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to and protect- that's why Facebook, when they say it's about the user experience, it is true. Because the longer you can stay, the more ads they can show you. So it's Correct. not about trying to make money on ads. They really have taken a long-term play because that really is the best way to make money. When you, when you own the system and everyone's there, the mass, maximum amount of users having the maximum amount of attention is how you maximize ad revenue.
1: Right. So marketers, the key point here is that the algorithm is trying to prevent um, Facebook from becoming a spam heaven, right? It doesn't want yep. it to be like downtown New York City, right? Where there's ads everywhere, right? Not they, Times
2: Square. Yeah.
1: They don't want it to be Times Square. They want it to be a place where you see things that you find interesting, fascinating, dot, dot, dot. Okay. Now, um, Now I want to dig into the magic sauce stuff, which you have a lot of insight into um, what we're going to start by talking about organic posts and then we'll talk about um, ads because there Mm -hmm. is, you know, an algorithm for both is what I've Mm -hmm. understood. So Mm -hmm. let's start with an organic post, dig in a little bit to what are the factors that we need to understand and break it down with as much detail as you can. Um, When we're posting organic stuff, what goes into, you know, the algorithms decision to show
2: or not show? So the algorithm has to determine how much power a particular post has. So think of power as volume, length times width uh, times height. So it's like a box, right? And how much water can you stick inside the box? Well, one is how much engagement are you getting, right? So if the the system sees lots and lots of your friends and whoever are engaging with it, then it's going to want to show it to more people. So when you post something initially, in the first few seconds, they give you initial reach, you know maybe they give you 1% of your fans or of your friends to see it and if that engagement's high they'll continue to give you more so engagement's the number one factor then number 2 is are other people interested other people like michael stelsner interested in certain kinds of content and that gives it a little bit of a bump and then the third factor is a decay factor which is to say well something that's really hot right now maybe a friend just checked in at a coffee store that's you know one block away you might want to know about that right versus something that happened 2 days ago. Well, that's going to be, you know, divided by a factor of 20 or 50 or maybe 100. So, those three factors are multiplied together and that measures how much power that particular
1: post has. Okay, let I me see, dig- let me so- dig in a little bit here. So, on the engagement yeah. side of things, tell us, mm-hmm. tell
2: us what they count as engagement. So, the Pretty much anything counts as engagement, but let me tell you where the relative power is. So you may have heard of stories. So a story is something that could show up in your newsfeed because, you know, Michael Stelsner clicked like on this or, you know, shared this one thing. So it's typically like shares and comments, but it can include things like check-ins and reviews and all of those things have power too, but it's primary LCS, likes, comments, and shares. But there's also something that's called a consumption, right? And a consumption is when you do something that doesn't drive a story. So if you watch a video for 30 seconds and you leave, you don't see a notification in your newsfeed saying, oh, Mike watched this video for 30 seconds, right? If you click through a photo gallery, if you go to someone's page and you're clicking around, if you click on other stuff, all those clicks are passive clicks because it doesn't generate a story. So those are called consumptions, right? And that's actually the bulk of what occurs because, you know, us as professional marketers, especially the social media marketers, we don't want to be clicking on ads. We don't want to be constantly voting for stuff. Sometimes we just want to lurk, right? So if you add up those consumptions, plus you add up the stories, the combination of all those is engagement and Facebook weighs all of them. Now we've done some rough analysis just based on like Red Bull and Nike and different kinds of small businesses. And if you say a like is worth one point, then a comment's worth about six. Your data is going to be a little bit different. A share is worth 13 a video view might be worth which is a default 3 second view might be worth about a quarter point and a negative feedback which is hide this post hide all posts report spam unlike page there's that's worth a minus 100 wow right so okay, what so you wait. could do yeah you could take your post insights you could download that CSV put together your little spreadsheet and actually wait out each post and calculate your estimated edge rank on that, so the power of that post, and then see what is getting the highest edge rank and what's getting the lowest, like huge minus edge rank, you'll probably find that about half of them are going to be positive and half of them are going to be negative. And the ones that are going to be higher are going to be video, right? The videos are, because Facebook's given priority to video, you're going to see the same thing with AR and Messenger and all these other kinds of interactions. Those carry weight too. So, the easiest thing to do is just download that sheet because you can get out of insights right you can download three or four kinds of insights you can download, download the post level insights, and Facebook is telling you what's working or not so just to be clear
1: um a share is the most valuable engagement metric is what I hear you saying from
2: what yeah, you I think from a what share is about equivalent to a review and maybe a check in got it and um uh,
1: the watching of a video is not super high value um,
2: unless they get into a certain level. Is that what I hear you yeah. saying? Well, th- think about it. If you're Facebook and you want to try to award points based on relative engagement, it's a little apples and oranges, but you know, a default view is three seconds. You could have just thumbed that one or you didn't scroll fast enough. But what do you think would be worth more? Would, would you as a marketer rather have someone who watched a video for 60 seconds... Or someone who just kind of click like on something and continue to scroll past. Because a lot of people click like on stuff and they keep moving, even though they don't read the article or whatever it might be, right? right. What would you rather have? Someone clicking like or someone watching a video for a minute?
1: Oh, yeah. i for sure rather have that. And do, and do you find that they weigh that even more powerful than a share? Or is that more like up there with a comment? Oh, I think it's way more.
2: Really? Because it's so rare. Because the average watch time on Facebook is six seconds on video. And it's all about video. So when we talk about analytics and the algorithm and all that kind of stuff, the core of it is around video. For example... Our friend Isaac Irvine at GoDaddy, he runs the personal brands at GoDaddy, and he's an example of how to do personal branding. He interviewed his kid Bodie, who was bullied for having long hair, for don't you know, cutting it for cancer victims, you know, looking like a girl because he had long hair, and that video got 80 million views. Wow! It got shared. Like, he's just some random dude. He felt it wasn't like a fancy thing with a camera and all that. It was he was in his bathroom, just worked out, dirty, took this one minute cell phone video, n- not even nice lighting. 80 million views, shared on George Takei. Ellen and BuzzFeed, like all these different places. And the reason why that got shared was that the signals were really high. It had an average watch time of 52 seconds. Wow. So look at your, go look in your videos and see what your average watch time is. It's hard to get. You know, they hit that in the regular insights. You actually have to download the thing, the thing to get the average watch times. Two is the engagement rate was north of 10%, meaning of the people who saw the video. More than 10% likes shared in common. And I think we were at like 25 or 30%. Here's another one that most people don't know about. Look at the ratio of shares versus likes. If you have a home run or if you see that the number of shares exceeds the number of likes, and I'm not talking about a rounding error where there's like five shares and four likes, I'm talking about you have significant numbers like a few hundred. If shares are greater than likes, Facebook absolutely takes that signal into account. And one of the top posts that he had, It looked impressive because one post had 40 million views and it had 300,000 likes, but it had 400,000 shares. And those 400,000 shares, we know, are worth a multiple of the 300,000 likes. And in fact, those 400,000 shares are worth more than the 30 million views. Think about it. What would you rather have? That's crazy. Now, I want to talk about this negative
1: feedback thing because I think a lot of people, when they're putting together their strategy for their posts – kind of do quirky things every once in a while on, on made up fake holidays and all this kind of stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's not like in the wheelhouse of what your audience is and, you know, uh, help us understand like why this negative feedback is so important and what it could, could impact the reach of the other stuff that we post around it as well. Let's talk about that.
2: Yeah, if you have enough negative feedback and you continue to accrue negative penalties, that's like a three strikes you're out. And it creates a downward spiral because if you continue to have low reach and high negative feedback, how do you think Facebook's going to behave the next time you post something? They're going to prejudge you as guilty, right? right? So I see this as a a very common sin among very well-meaning social media marketers because they hear some other people say, you should post three times per day or – some people will say, and I know you and I've had this discussion. Well, if we're getting less and less reach, you know, the average page gets three to five percent reach. Well, we should try to post even more often. And then what happens is you're lowering the bar right. on the quality of the content, and you get penalized even harder. And then it's like you have the e-brake on. And the answer is instead of figuring out a way to release the emergency brake, you you say let's floor it harder. Yeah. Right. And that that just creates worse problems for you. <laughs> yeah. And then they then they say, well, Facebook, well, you know, trying to force you to advertise anyway.
1: <laughs> so okay so um yeah. uh w- what's the what's the take home lesson what have you learned about negative feedback i mean some stuff you're never going to be able to control but what you know what what what's the yeah. take home lesson here
2: so you've got to look at what's causing your negative feedback and that means even if you haven't used excel for a long time You've got to download those post insights, and there's no tool that will do it except for the one that's between your ears, mm. right? And when you look at that sheet and you figure out what's causing your highest positive score, it's probably going to be video, shorter videos. You get right to the point on that. It's going to be things that are not self promotional or buy my stuff or here it's on sale. Common sense will tell you, and you know, in etiquette. If you approach people in the real world, the mall, you can't go up to some random person and say buy my stuff. So why would you do it in social? Those rules apply but really the high negative feedback is caused by having a high or a low relevant score so the reason why facebook releases the relevant score is to help you troubleshoot what's causing you to not have reach or your cost is too high or you're being penalized and I remember; I think it was eight years ago. Facebook released this. It was a post quality score and was on a batting average. I think you remember this. We we were having this discussion a long time ago. It was a batting average out of a thousand, right? And they would give you a post quality score. This this post was two hundred. This post was eight hundred, right? And then that would give you a signal. And they they let it run for six months and then they killed it. I wish they'd bring it back. Maybe they will at some point. But that that helps you learn and you'll. What I think the main takeaway for our audience here is that. The, the the high negative feedback is caused by a low relevance score. The low relevance score is caused by not having the right targeting. And the targeting has to be triggered by what your community last did. So if I target people by that last video that they saw, if they saw video A, show them video B. Well, that's very relevant, right? Or if I make content against this particular user group, then I have something, right? Relevance is the intersection between content and targeting. Okay, so that is are, we the ad, ad, are
1: we getting into ads now? Because I want to—if yeah. we are, let's let's hold that for a second. So, um, you talked about there's three factors: engagement, other people's interests, and the decay factor. Explain the other people's interests thing because obviously the engagement thing—I think we've we've—I think people are understanding that. What is the other people's interests? What does that mean exactly?
2: People who are like you, what are they doing? Right, and even though the economy is open and we all love one another. Facebook has learned, and we have learned, that people like to hang out with other people that are like them. And we did a study for the FTC, because we consulted on how spam worked, where we said, all right, what do you think, like I'll ask you, and then I'll tell you the result real quick, what do you think has more predictive power? Us looking at all the data you have about your profile and what you've done and what you've clicked on, that kind of stuff, or we have no data about you, Michael, but we have data on all whatever, 500 or 1,000 of your friends what's going to be more predictive than <laughs> my what friends like, how old you are my and where my you my, t-
1: my friends totally my friends okay so that's what facebook's using as a signal <laughs> i see so so they've they're they're kind of looking at my friends all of my friends or my friends that kind of have
2: similar interests to me or and so the closer those friends are to you the more you engage with them the more weighting they're going to give of course it makes a lot of sense it's just like with amazon people who bought this they also bought that or if you listen to this song you might like that song it's called collaborative filtering it's not a magic algorithm it's been around forever so what it, so translate how, what as marketers what if anything does this mean for us it means when you have word of mouth among a community that you are really zeroed in on because you have a niche and they love you and you get them to talk about you in a non-spammy oh win a free thing if you you know click like but in a real sort of way That signal, Facebook's able to latch onto and find other people just like that. It's the same algorithm behind lookalikes, which is on the paid side. That's where the connection between organic and paid is, is on the lookalike, which is based on the collaborative filter, which is based on OCPM. Okay, and then the decay factor,
1: um, I would imagine... I'm just speaking from my own experience, but I some I'm on Facebook probably as much as you are at least 20 or 30 times a day. And (laughs) I notice that certain things keep popping up and sometimes they're even a couple of days old. So um, talk a little bit about decay. Does that only apply to things that are happening right now, like an earthquake or a hurricane? Or does it have to do with um, other
2: factors? All right. I'm going to tell you a little secret that's going to destroy this. Like once once it's on this podcast, the the secret's going to be burnt. (laughs) So, typically when you post something, whether it's a page or a profile, you know that like two years ago it would last maybe four hours or you know the eight hours, and, and now stuff will typically last only an hour or two, right? And Twitter things last like two minutes, right? So the decay factor is getting higher and higher, right? Things fall off faster and faster because there's more and more content because the filter power is higher, right? But I've noticed that you can trick the system because if you take a post, Do you get the thing like, on this day, like, oh, two years ago, here's a picture of you and a friend doing something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I like to do is I like to look at on this day, and then instead of clicking on the thing that has the orange background, I will comment again, and I find that that actually resuscitates an old post almost as strong not like as strong but maybe like a third as strong as it originally was. So I have different posts and I'll continue to comment on them. They might be 6 years ago, 7 years ago, and that's why us as marketers have an incentive to create evergreen content because we can continue to bring it back. Now don't overuse that because then people will think that all you are is a bot like replaying your old stuff. So, Mix that in with your publishing schedule.
1: So just to be clear, if you're a page like social media examiner and you go back to the history and you look at on this day uh, and, if, and, and if there's something relevant, you just comment on it as your mm-hmm. page and that somehow will yeah. give it a little bit of love? They comment as a user, comment as a page, and it'll bring it back a little bit. Interesting. Now, if the decay factor is as low as what you're stating, Dennis, and you're advocating not posting frequently, but posting less, mm-hmm. how does that all work together?
2: Okay, so as the filter power gets stronger and stronger, less good things get through. More guys get shut out. And this is the irony because you hear two camps that seem to say different things. So this is where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Because what that algorithm does is it stretches stuff out so that things like fake news get pushed up to the very top and things that are that would have normally gotten some distribution get even less. So what you have to do is get yourself up in that top 5% of posts. I would rather have, in the course of a month, one or two really hot posts that live forever than 50 posts that get you know, low or medium distribution. So this actually increases your incentive to try to find a hit because the hits get increasingly rewarded. Does that make sense? Yeah. And what I hear you saying is
1: they, they will live on and they will have less decay. Is that right? They might go on for That's a day right. or two. So
2: le- they'll continue to have engagement, which continues to allow them to live because when you and your friends and other people engage, that then could show up in the newsfeed of the friends of those other people. So then
1: here's a logical next question. Does time of day matter when we schedule our posts on Facebook?
2: It does if you have enough of a user base and you're relying upon organic. I've done testing with different pages. Now, before people say, oh, well, the ideal time is you should post local time between 4 p.m. and 5 p.m. or at 6 a.m. before they get into the office, or that's not, you can't say anything like that. That's just as ridiculous as saying the average, you know, that your tweet should be 120 characters or you should always include the three hashtags. No, you need to find out when that audience is online. And if you, uh, this used to be true a year or two ago where you could slingshot a post to get high engagement I meaning you know like if if a car is at a stoplight next to you and they're at the red light but you're coming up on the thing and, and you're still rolling through the intersection as it turns green right. so and then they're still stopped so you get that slingshot right. effect right you used to be able to do that on facebook where you if you had a post that you knew was going to be hot and it had to be that particular condition you can't can't do it with every post then at 3 a.m or 4 a.m you could post something it would generate more engagement so by the time it hit six seven eight o'clock it had kind of a head start on the other posts but if you did that with a crappy post it would just die like with the really hot posts you could get a little bit of a slingshot but now the algorithm is so strong I think you should instead of trying to trick it like that slingshot approach try to post when they're more likely to be online but we find that with things like boosting and with evergreen content it doesn't matter that much when you post okay um let's flip over forever
1: yeah let's flip over to the ad side Um, As we kind of hinted, there is also an algorithm on the ad side of things. So talk to us. What do
2: we need to know about that? Guess what? It's the same one that's used on the organic side. However, they give you more data. Oh, imagine that. Not a coincidence, right? And they roll it up into relevant score. And a lot of people complain about how relevant score is only one metric. And their favorite ad metric is click-through rate or CPM or whatever it is. We look at relevance score because it's the best diagnostic metric. Of course, the best metric overall is your cost per business result, the cost per sale, cost per lead, cost per you know, actual thing that you're trying to get done as a business result. But the best diagnostic metric is the relevance score because they break that down into the three components that the algorithm looks at. They look at positive, you know, positive feedback is the engagement. Negative feedback you know, is, is what that is. And there's there's other factors of what people are clicking on, right? So relevance score is the best way to compare your content apples to apples. If it's at the top of the funnel, we want to see at least a six. Mid-funnel, at least a four. Bottom of funnel, where obviously you're trying to sell, that's a two. You don't want to com- compare apples to apples because when you say, hey, buy my stuff, it's on sale. Obviously, that's not as good as an engaging video where you're telling a story or something like that, right? And so the relevance score is, is a way of – more than what they're going to tell you on the organic side. You see, on the, on the paid side, they're going to give you all the data that you can see on organic, plus they're going to give you inside audience insights and inside audience manager, which are not the same thing inside Facebook, but they're both inside you know the Facebook ads manager. They're going to show you what the overlap is between different audiences. Right? So the people who are engaging on one particular boosted post or watching one particular video that you boosted, you can intersect that with the people who've been to your website. You can intersect that with people who've watched this video and that video. You can exclude the people who have bought. You can say, okay, and women who are 30 plus that live in California and, and attended social media marketing world. Right, You can do all those kinds of combinations and segmentations and sequences that you can't do organically. And I think that's why Facebook, when, when you post something organically, they don't allow you organically to subtarget all those different groups. They put all that stuff on the ad side for obvious reasons. So they want you to look, they want you to spend more time. I think the best analytics, Mike, are inside the Facebook ad platform. The best organic stuff. You don't even have to advertise. If you want the best analytics, go to the ads tool. Uh, crazy question. Uh, and I'm speaking a little bit
1: out of ignorance because I, somebody else on my team does this. But when, when we post organically. Um, I think we're given an option to, to kind of say, um,
2: show this post to people that are interested in these topics. Does that sound right?
1: And when your page is
2: big enough and you can narrow it down by country and age, you could have a liquor brand, you know, you want to have 21 plus in the United States. Yeah. We have like a half a million fans. And I think we can state, you know, not just geography, but
1: interested in these topics. Does that sound right? And should we do that or should we not do that? That's the part I'm curious about.
2: I think if you're a news station and if you're a major publisher, you can, because what you're trying to do is help out the algorithm, right? Let's say that you're the, the evening news and you post on you know auto accidents and the weather and the sports and the stock market and all the different things and and you start to categorize by that you're helping out the algorithm but the algorithm's so smart now that unless you have lots of different topics it already knows who your best fans are it depends on how many archetypes you have right most of us listening here, we probably only have one or two customer types that we serve. We don't need to try to segment. If anything, we're cutting things down too far because if we're trying to cut it, that w- what we've seen when people who try to over-target or they think they're really smart with targeting, they're usually wrong. And so it's better to let the default run. It's better not to and you know, intentionally cut the audience unless you know, like, okay, this event's only going to be in San Diego. I don't want anyone else to see that, right?
1: Let's talk about boosting organic
2: posts. What do we need to know? So you boost things that are hot. So if it's hot, if you have enough of an audience that you can see something's working organically, you're going to boost it to make the good things better. right? And that's throwing fuel on the fire, whatever analogy you want to be able to use. We like to boost to two types of audiences. One are people that we think would see it, but we don't have enough power in the newsfeed for it to reach organically. And that's just a fact of the matter. We've Spend a dollar a day for seven days, see how it works. If the engagement's high, we'll continue to put more and continue to stack. We have some posts that that have been alive for two years, boosted posts. The other one is what we call an inception boosted post. And that's where I want to target the media or I want to target the influencers of my community. So I want to target the people that work at the LA Times, the people that work at Bodybuilding Magazine because maybe I'm a fitness coach or the people that work in – at particular magazines, publications, associations, that kind of thing. And that's what you also let run for a dollar a day. And the key is that it starts with organic. See, on the search side, content on AdWords was always – made; it was born as an ad. But Facebook's not like that. Facebook, you have things that you're posting on the page, and if they work, letting the algorithm do the work for you, then you're going to put money on it. I would never put money – against a post that wasn't showing some strong social signal. So now, if you're on the paid side of Facebook, you're, you run an agency, you're a consultant, you must be an expert on the analytics on the organic side. Otherwise, you're just boosting stuff. You're just driving with the e-brake on. So just to be clear,
1: uh, we have, you know, let's say we're, we're trying to push um, uh, to an article, okay? Let's just assume that's the mm-hmm. hypothesis here. And um, we could do a dark post, right, and just have it be an ad, Mm -hmm. Um, would that be smarter than
2: doing a boost or, um, boost it if it's good content as in content that people actually would share and they wouldn't view as an ad that the fact that you're putting money against it shouldn't be, shouldn't be like, okay, this content sucks. It should deserve to be seen. You know, the fact that you, you boost it shouldn't make it something where you're just trying to sell something all the time. We find that boosting posts, especially video, boosting video drives more people whether or not you include a call to action or you know clicks the website which you can choose when in boosting a post that drives secondary effects into people opening emails into them more likely to look at your next post into Facebook giving you more preference in, the, in all the posts that you have into more fans and like all these other follow on things that don't tie to the engagement of that particular post. And I think that's where most social media marketers, especially if they're serving a client that's direct marketing oriented, they tend to miss on that because they're looking only in this narrow window of how many sales or clicks or website views or whatever I got off of that one post. Because if you send them to a website right off, that's a big ask. Right, you're you trying to collect their email address and fill out this form because you have a lead magnet. That's a big ask for someone that you haven't already gotten built a relationship. You know, already gotten four or five touches in. So what? that creates a low relevance score if you're not uh, going against a warm audience, like uh, the different kinds of custom audiences, then sending to the website. We don't like to send people to a website unless. They're like, you know, you can set up your custom audiences and say people have been to my site before people watched a video, right? Then I want to send them to the site because they already trust me, right? And I'm not going to get as much negative feedback if I know they've already been consuming my content. What do you want to say to the
1: people listening right now that are like, hey, if I put some money behind my organic posts, then I'm never going to get organic reach ever again. Is that, is that true? Because Facebook's going to say, hey, these guys have money.
2: Mm, That used to be true with with Google when we were at Yahoo, but Facebook truly is interested in having users stay on the platform because whether it's your content or not, if people are staying on the platform, you can serve more ads. They can learn more because they're collecting more data on these users. We've created a guide so that you can determine whether your posts are doing well and benchmark against other verticals. We call that the standards of excellence, and we made it for you guys, and we put it on blitzmetrics.com slash SME.
1: So let me ask you this. We'll, we'll, we'll remind people of that again at the end. Um, you were just mentioning just putting a couple bucks behind a post, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and, and you said, don't boost everything, just boost your winners, right? So so we know that we have a winner if we're getting lots of shares. That's what I think I'm learning from you, right? If we're getting lots mm-hmm. of shares mm-hmm. on on a post or lots of video consumptions and our average watch time is way high, right? Like 15 if it's a,
2: seconds plus. Yeah, the yeah. average is six, but if, if it's you get a 30 15, second
1: post, it. if it's a 30 second video and people are watching it to 25 seconds, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so, so that's, that's an area where we might want to put some, a little bit of money behind it because yeah. I think this is the part where I think you advocate putting a little bit of money over a per, longer period of time behind these things, right? Rather than just putting a lot of money yeah. up front, right? Look, I'm
2: low risk. I'm conservative. I used to think 20 years ago, I was a hot shot. Or 10 years ago, when the Facebook platform launched, it was so easy to win because there's no competition. I used to think I was really good. And then I realized, you know what? I have no idea what I'm doing, but it's so easy just to take a few of these posts and boost them and then let the data tell. You've done testing, right? Landing page testing or which of these images is going to get the highest click-through rate or what have you. And then just like, how much effort is it to put – most folks, especially when you're in a bigger company and you don't want to look wrong, just to put seven bucks against three different posts. Don't do dark post unless you don't want certain people to see it. Like, you know, you don't want your existing customers to see that you have a 20% off new customer sale. Okay, fine, dark post. But everything else that's towards engagement or building awareness, right? Because we have awareness, engagement, conversion, right? In the in the three steps of the funnel, anything that is not straight up conversion, I. I want to do that as a boosted post. I want to put anything that I think would be evergreen, that's interesting, that's actually worth sharing, even whether I'm paying for it or not, a dollar a day for seven days. So seven bucks against each of these posts and then let the algorithm do the work for me. Um, is
1: there some upside? Because I think there is, right? When you boost, yeah. you could still get all that
2: share and then you don't have to pay for that. Is that correct? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. So if we've noticed in the in a particular situation when you have. A hot post that, when you pay to boost it, you get this. Imagine like you know you like potato chips, and you go to the store, and they say buy one get twenty bags of potato chips for free. Right? You know what would you do about that? You would like that, right? So Facebook does that, where if you if you boost a post that's already done well organically, then. When people when, when people see those paid impressions and then other people like and comment and all that based on the fact that you paid to get that additional reach, that additional engagement is not counted against the paid stats. Further, and this is one that we've talked to Facebook the last seven or eight years. We've talked about this so many times. We had it verified. I bet you almost nobody knows this. When, when a user clicks share on a post on your page, that does not count against your organic reach. They don't share. Show that in organic reach because they treat that as a, as a user post, right? Because, you know, they don't show, like, the reach and views and whatever for user posts, right? Only pages. But they they think a share is a user post. So if you do a really good job organically and you boost that stuff and you get a ton of shares, those impressions don't show up in your analytics.
1: Interesting. Do you have any examples of like having just spent a few bucks and seen? Well, like what kind of? Let's say we got a hot post, Dennis, and uh-huh. uh, let's say it's just a hot video or something like that. You know, and we know uh-huh. we can tell because it's an outlier, and we put a few bucks behind it. What kind of an impact could this have? Do you have any examples of like how just a little bit of money has had a huge impact? And yeah, we got a few that? hundred,
2: and then they're all random. I'll give you one. So you know logan who's my co-founder he got bit by a dog we posted that video we boosted that and because it got a you know people it's, it's a dog bite video so people are interested in that right high watch time and we targeted people who love pit bulls and that thing got a 72% engagement rate because if you love pit bulls and here's this thing saying all pit bulls are mean they kill people right and that draw, and then we targeted the other side, the people who have been victims. So that we got those two sides to argue because we targeted polar opposites to intentionally create commotion. That generated such high engagement in the newsfeed that it got him onto the evening news wow. on live, and it got him in the the radio, got him and on all sorts of media coverage. And I think we spent something like fifteen or twenty dollars, right? Wow, that's super crazy. powerful. You don't need a crazy media situation. My buddy Eric Ludwig, he was, you know. CMO Rosetta Stone and dollar-day targeting against people that work at Rosetta Stone in marketing, saying, "Hey, Eric, happy birthday! You're 43. You're old now, haha, ha. right?" And all these people at, at in marketing at Rosetta Stone in Washington D.C. at their headquarters, they're like, "Oh my goodness, someone's spending like lots and lots of money because I'm just getting bombarded." We spent 87 cents. We got a C and D from the the legal folks at Rosetta Stone because they thought that we were abusing their brand and running these crazy ads. And Eric had to stop them to say, "Look." This thing is not I mean this is just Dennis having some fun saying happy birthday the reach on the thing you know was only 5 or 10,000 he spent less than a dollar because that 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 initial organic engagement was so high because it showed a picture of Eric you know his face targeted to the people who work for him right? The 300 people in marketing, they saw his face, like obviously high relevance, high engagement rate, right? Then we boosted that for less than a dollar. That drove additional reach. So everyone inside Rosetta Stone, we were able to rock for under a dollar because we got that additional reach because it was predicated by organic reach initially, organic engagement. Wow. Well, Dennis, first of all, thank you so much
1: for sharing all your insight and passion on this topic. And it's my hope that people that are listening right now understand that it is complicated, but when you understand what it is and you start experimenting with it and digging into the data, you begin to um, know what works and what doesn't work. And I wanted to tell them again where they can find your standards of excellence guide and where they can also find you in your company if they want to reach out.
2: Yeah. So Dennis at Blitzmetrics.com for email, uh, Facebook.com slash get found is my public figure page. We created a guide so that you can tell what's working or not and that's what we call the Standards of Excellence Guide. And it's at blitzmetrics.com SME, which is for Social Media Examiner.
1: Dennis Yu, thank you so much for coming on this week's show and sharing all your wisdom and insight. Oh, man. Thanks, Mike. Well, I hope you got a lot of value out of today's podcast episode. If there was anything that we mentioned and you didn't track it, socialmediaexaminer.com slash 274. Also, Hit that subscribe button on your podcast player. Do not ever miss a future episode of this podcast. The last thing is Social Media Marketing World 2018. Check it out. Make the decision. Join thousands upon thousands of your peers by visiting socialmediaworld18.com. It's unlike anything you'll ever experience. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world.
0: The Social Media
2: Marketing Podcast is a
0: production of Social Media Examiner.